welcome to the City of the Great King podcast with your host, Tyler Swatsky. That's me. Hello. Glad you are here. Episode 10. Wow. Episode 10. You know, there are a lot of podcasts that don't make it to episode 10. Actually, I think most of them probably die in the planning phase. They, they never escape the planning stage. And even the ones that do, so many of them don't even make it to episode 10. But here we are. We are here. I think there's some people, they uh, fizzle out after episode 2, 3, 4 because, I don't know, maybe there's expectations that I recorded something, I put my heart and my mind into it, why am I not top of iTunes after two weeks? <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't happen that way. But uh, we are on our 10th one now of the weekly episode. Plus there's nine Augustans there too that you can listen to. Do let me know what you think, by the way. I welcome feedback. I really do. And I want to say, to start this one out, I want to say thank you to everybody who has been listening. And if you're listening to this episode, there's a good chance you've listened to uh, some other ones as well. I want to say thank you. Uh, it, it does mean a lot, the fact that there are people who are listening and are are benefiting from it, that are being helped by it. I get encouragement from people who tell me uh what how it was helpful and it's very encouraging to me you know i don't get i don't get paid for this i don't have a sponsor this isn't part of my my church job or anything like this is coming on my own time i've uh, coming out of my own pocket i pay paid for everything uh like i said there's no sponsor or anything like that so i just really appreciate that there are that you're listening. I appreciate that. And just so you're aware, I will be bringing a donation option. It's not going to be mandatory, of course. Uh, this this weekly episode will always be free, but I will be bringing a donation option. And that's just because it is a good principle to live by. I learned this from Dennis Prager. But uh, if, if you are benefiting because of somebody else, it is appropriate to give something in return. And that usually comes in the form of sponsoring in some way, donating in some way. And it's it's a good principle to live by. We give and take. And so if you feel so compelled, that option uh, should be there next week. Again, won't. it's not like content will be locked or anything, but just prayerfully consider supporting the podcast, supporting the work going on here. And again, I thank you for listening, and I thank you in advance. Praise God for that. Today, because we are kind of celebrating, it's episode 10 after all, how do you not celebrate when there's a 10? Uh, We are going to do, I'm going to be sharing my 10 principles to know before getting married. And in some ways, uh, this is a topic where uh, I maybe don't really want to talk about all the time, but in other ways, I'm the most qualified person ever to be talking about this. And this is going to be part of a four-part series, and I think I have a name for it. I'm going to call it the Marriage Special. You're getting the Marriage Special now. Yes, even if you're unmarried, you're getting the Marriage Special right here on the podcast. <laughs> and, 
It's going to be a four-part series. I'm thinking principles to know before getting married. That's today. And then living in a difficult marriage next week. And then biblical, uh, the biblical passages as it relates to divorce. Episode three will be about divorce of the series. And then four will be about remarriage. So we're going to look at pre-marriage, during marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so that's going to take up the next four weeks. We're going to do the marriage special together. And this one is going to feel like rapid fire. So 10 principles to know before getting married. Because I try to keep myself to a pretty strict time limit, that means I get two to three minutes per point. So this is going to feel somewhat rapid fire. And I will say right at the outset, every single one of these principles can be a book on its own or at least a single podcast episode on its own and maybe one day i will do that if i need to run back into the well a little bit for an episode in the future i'll come back to some of these principles and do an entire episode an entire session just on one of these principles because each of them could deserve it not only that but these are not exhaustive this list is not exhaustive there are other things you can add to this there's more to be said on each of the points than what I'm going to say. There's some nuance you can bring that I'm not going to bring. And also, these 10 are not in any particular order. So now with all of the qualifications out of the way, the 10 principles to know before getting married or things to look out for while you're dating or thinking about dating. Number one, principle number one, you will both change. I know, crazy. But you will both change. I've heard it before. I've actually heard it quite a few times where a spouse will come in for counseling or will be looking for help in something and they're complaining that their spouse is not who they used to be, that they've changed. And I'm just thinking, that's awesome. They, they, they should change. Actually, you've changed too. You both will change. This is a good thing. Uh, try to imagine if you get married at 25 years old and now you're 45 and the person you married at 25 is still basically the exact same person that they are that, that they are when you're 45. I, you actually wouldn't like that very much. You want them to have changed, at least in the sense that they have grown somewhat, grown physically probably, especially a man. You they, Hopefully they've gotten a bit stronger. Uh, they've hopefully grown intellectually, they've grown emotionally, they've grown in maturity. This is a good thing. You both will change. There is a quote that I I use pretty frequently. I don't think I've used it on this podcast yet. I got this from John Maxwell. Uh, he said, healthy things grow and growing things change. Healthy things grow and growing things change. So if you're not changing, you're not growing. You will always, you want to be healthy, right? And it, to remain healthy means that you are continually having small changes. Now, I, I get it. There are certain things about us that don't change. Some core fundamentals. If you are a Christian, you should remain a Christian. Your love for God, should you should always have love for God. However, it should grow. You should always have love for your children. However, it will grow. You should always be responsible in your job. However, you should be more responsible as time goes on. So... It is a good thing that there is change. but And usually people, what they say is, uh, my spouse used to show love for me and now they don't. 
or my spouse used to respect and admire me and now they don't. And I'm very sensitive to that, but that indicates something different. Um, that then goes more to they're not living by their marital vows or they are not living in accordance with the nature of who God made them to be as a man, as a husband, as a father, or as a woman, as a wife, as a mother. So usually that's what they mean when they say that, oh, he's changed or she has changed since when we got married. But otherwise, just know that you both will change. The person that you begin courting or dating is not going to be the same person who you kiss on the altar. And that is not going to be the same person when your first child is born. And that's not going to be the same person when your child is 10 and when they move out and when you retire and when you travel the world. So you will both change if you want to be healthy. Uh, okay, I got to move on. Already taking a lot of time. I knew this was going to happen. You will both change, principle number one. Principle number two, love for God must be patently obvious. Principle number two, love for God must be patently obvious. You should have absolutely no question about the young man who your eye might be on or the young lady you fancy that they love God. It should be no secret to you whatsoever. You should have no question about it. Uh, for instance, they should be baptized. If they call themselves a Christian and they are not baptized yet, you are dealing with somebody who either knows incredibly little about the faith and they are a baby Christian, or they just don't care. And they're disobedient to Christ. None of these options are good. So they should be baptized. They should have study habits. The, if you're considering a young man, is he into books? Does he read? I mean, first and foremost, he should be reading his Bible. If he doesn't have study habits now, you're probably facing an uphill battle to get him to have good study habits later. So you can't necessarily be like you can't force somebody to pick up a good habit they have to get that within themselves and they can use mentorship or somebody can teach it into them in from indirect means but it's going to be from their own desire to grow to change to to show their love for god to love god they will have to put those habits into place so he should be a reader and she should be nurturing her soul too with study, with learning about the Lord. And so both of you should have study habits. Um, so they should be baptized, they should have study habits, and they should be involved in their church. The young lady you have your eye on, is she? does she go to church? Or if you, when you bring up the topic, it's just like, eh. Or with him, you suggest, you know, hey, why don't you come to church? And it's just like an uphill battle to get him to go. Or he comes in the service, talks to basically nobody, leaves right away, has no interest, doesn't volunteer for anything. It's not good. Love for God must be patently obvious. And this is because that's obedience to Christ. We are told very clearly in scripture not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And a direct application of that is in marriage. You don't want to be in a marriage with an unbeliever. So love for God must be patently obvious. And there's unfortunately many cases where you won't see the red flags beforehand in the faith. Or maybe they just didn't show many red flags and later down the line they show themselves to not be a genuine Christian. They apostatize. 
This stuff happens too. And we are not sovereign over these things, but you can only work with the knowledge that is that you have, with the facts that are in front of you. And the facts in front of you should show that they are a genuine believer. Another way to know is that they should not pressure you to have sex before marriage. A godly man is not, he's going to want it, of course, uh, but he is not going to pressure you to cross boundaries, especially not God's boundaries. He shouldn't even be wanting to cross your boundaries, let alone that God is com- commands him not to commands him to be self-controlled. He should not be pressuring you to have sex before marriage. And again, I recognize this is a massive recurring problem, even amongst Christians, even in the church. We are not immune from these types of things. And there is forgiveness, of course. With repentance, there is forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that everything goes to goes to crap if there's, if mistakes have been made. But these are what you're looking for. They're, they're principles. They should not be pressuring you to be ungodly. Okay? Love for God must be patently obvious. Uh, principle number three. There is no the one. The one. You know, the doctrine of the one. There's this one person out there. Like, I'm one half of a puzzle and there's the opposite piece of the puzzle. They're out there somewhere and they're gonna be brought before me. We just need to find each other, complete these missing pieces so the puzzle is made. The one for me is out there. No, that's not true. It's not true. This actually comes from old Greek philosophy. It does not come from biblical theology. There is no the one out there. Uh, actually, the Bible has something to say. It's really cool. It's talking about the, the widows, people who were married once and they're uh, this is specifically to women at this point, but their husband died. And in 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine, it says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Okay, so right there in scripture, we get this principle that is freeing. That in this case, with the widowed, the person who is widowed, they have the freedom to marry whomever they will, as long as it's in the Lord. Again, so as long as that love for God is patently obvious, they are free to marry. As long as it's not sin, that's another aspect. Like, so she can't marry somebody who's already married. Uh, So as long as it's not sin and they are a Christian, there's no the one. Is there a godly man out there who is single, who you are attracted to? Do they have godly character? Then you can marry them. It, it, you are, you have permission to. So there's no, there's no the one out there. And this doctrine is pretty dangerous, I think, especially for women, because they will pass down suitor after suitor after suitor, men who could otherwise be fantastic partners for them, but they're looking for something that is unrealistic and more fairy tale like There's no missing puzzle piece out there. Now, I'm a good Calvinist. Uh, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and the Lord does know who we will marry. So in God's knowledge, this is part of his secret will. The part that we don't get to know, he knows who you will marry. He knows how that's going to go, but you don't get to know that. That's not something that he tells you in a dream at 15 years old, this is when you're going to get married to this person because they are the one. doesn't happen that way. So you shouldn't be looking for some special fairy tale person out there there is no the one principle number four look for character 
in line with their gender. This, you can tell this one is a little bit nuanced to, to modern times, but look for character in line with their gender. So a, ma a, a male, if you are attracted to a male, he should be acting in line with the characteristics of a man. And I don't just mean that he has facial hair and he can swing an axe. I mean that he's a masculine man. You should be looking for somebody who embodies masculinity, traditional masculinity. So the Bible gives us the characteristics of what a man is supposed to be. And for instance, the man is the protector. He is the one who is charged and tasked with protecting his family. So does he show characteristics of being a protector? Uh, also, he is to take the leadership mantle in his home. He's supposed to take the lead in family devotions. He leads the, the overall direction of where the family is going. He is also the provider. He's the one who goes to work every day and brings in the income to provide for the family. So he is a, a leader, he is a protector, and he is a provider. These are some, some key parts of being a man. So if they are not those things now, if they don't show any type of characteristics like that, they're not ready. They're not a masculine man yet. They can't be a partner for you. Likewise, for the man, you are looking for a female who is, whose character is in line with being a woman. Again, revolutionary, I know. But she should embody all the beauty of femininity that we see in scripture. So primarily, she is a nurturer. Is she a nurturing person? Is she warm? Does she care for others? Does she, <clears throat> excuse me, is she somebody who is a nurturing presence to others? Is she tender towards other people's uh, needs? These are things that a woman does. And if she is not those things, if she is cold, if she is impossible to talk to, if if she is rather than nurturing she is destructive and critical and cynical this is anti uh, godly feminine characteristics so you don't want to see that so you're looking for characteristics in line with their gender men want a feminine woman one that is described like in scripture even proverbs 31 um they're looking for the bible also has this thing to say about women that she the woman has the power to build up her house by her hands and with the same hands she has the power to tear it down there is nobody in the house who has as much power to shape the overall tenure of the home than the woman than the wife than the mother she is the one who primarily is the force behind if the home is joyful or not if, because if she's well, if she if she's nurturing towards her home and she is taking care of the people in her home, that warmth is going to be the bedrock for joy and and all the the aspects of the family working cohesively. The Bible says that the woman is the one whose hands are there to build up the house or tear it down. So she has incredible power over the tenure of the home over the atmosphere of the home. 
And I think that makes a whole lot of sense, and we're going to get into a verse in a bit. But look, that's principle number four. Look for characteristics in line with their gender. Men want a feminine woman, as the Bible puts it. Women are looking for a masculine, a manly man, as the Bible describes it. Principle number five. This is going to sound a little bit... Uh, I'll explain it in a bit. Number five. Women get better indications than men about their partner before marriage. Women get better indications about their partner than men do before marriage. I'll explain. So the man, as I mentioned, his role is to be a protector, provider, and a leader, amongst other things, but those are some of the big ones. And so part of fulfilling that mandate is that he is working responsibly. He's got a job, he's got an income, he is sufficient, he's bringing it, he's providing for himself in his own home. Uh, ideally, he's got his own place, and he's learning how to be a responsible man. He can already be doing his role without being married. So he can already be demonstrating, uh, doing his primary role of working and providing and being responsible before he's married. He can do that. A woman can see him doing that. So you see the characteristics of a hardworking man who is passionate about his job. Now, I... You don't have to like love, jump for joy if about construction work or something like. Like he doesn't have to uh, come home singing praises about his job or something. But what you what you don't want is somebody who's just complaining all the time, who's just cynical about their job, who just complains and never does anything about it. That that that's anti godly masculine behavior. You want somebody who shows some passion in what they do, who cares about what they do, who are in, who's invested in what they do. And a man can do that without being married. But the woman, on the other hand, she is going to be the one, according to, again, the Apostle Paul in in Titus, she's going to be the one who primarily is responsible for the nurturing of the home. Uh, It says in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So young women, this is what you're supposed to do. Young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, what it says in verse 4, to train the young women to love their husbands and children, it's an interesting Greek construction there. What it literally means is being in your husband and children. And the image behind that is that you are involved in the people who are right there in your home. It's kind of like you're in the in you're you're behind them in a way. You're so involved in them that you're the force that's gluing it all together, but you're not center stage. Uh, you probably are in the background center stage, but out front in front of everybody else, you are in your husband and children. That is your duty. That is your job. God made you for that. He equipped you for that. So does the woman get to show that before marriage? She can in part she can a man can see a woman as she interacts with other people's children or just by how she respects men in general if she has a healthy view towards masculine leadership and uh respect for godly men you can see that but she can't do this primary job until she is married so the man has to go off of demonstrable potential Like, she demonstrates the potential to do these things. 
She loves children. She respects men, has a healthy view of marriage, has a healthy view of God, of the scriptures. So this gives you potential that they will be a godly mother and will be a godly wife. But you don't get to see it beforehand. The woman gets to see the man do his primary role just without a wife and children. But she gets to see how he interacts with his job, how he interacts with providing, how he is responsible. And I think God designed it this way on purpose. Because ultimately the woman, if you believe the Bible, what the Bible says, the woman is choosing her spiritual head. Again, in, in 1 Corinthians, um, this one in chapter 11, uh, verse 3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband. So she is choosing her head, the one that she is going to freely submit to out of her love for God to this man for the rest of her life. And I think God designs that she gets a nice good view of his characteristics before you get married. So women, you should not overlook these types of things in a man before you are interested in him or before you go on dates with him. Does he work hard? Is he responsible? Is he studious? Is he compassionate? Is he respectful? Is he generous? These are things that you want to know about a man. Does he take protection seriously? Does he respect justice? You know, these are things that you're looking for. You can see a lot of these things before you get married. So you're already looking for accomplishment. The man has to look for demonstrable potential. It's a little bit different. So she gets access to more information. Uh, that can require a whole thing of its own. But that's principle number five, is that understand that women get better indications than men about their partner before marriage. Principle number six, it's okay to be picky, but only for the right reasons. It's okay to be picky, but only for the right reasons. So there are people who know that they are not just going to accept in a date offer to just anybody, or they're not just going to ask out any, any young lady. They have their likes, they have their preferences, and it's okay that you have preferences. It's okay to reject dates, to turn people down, do it, let them down easy, uh, do it in a generous and respectful way. But it's, you don't have to say yes to every date just because you two are Christians and somebody's attracted to one. You don't have to accept it. You don't owe them anything. You just owe them what you owe any brother or sister in Christ, but you don't owe them anything in terms of a romantic relationship. So it's okay to be picky, but for the right reasons. So you should not be turning down a date because their hair color isn't what you want, or because their height isn't uh, two inches taller, or you know, there's all these types of things where we can become shallow. Really what this is getting at is don't have unrealistic expectations or shallow expectations. There are some men out there who can have such high expectations about what their their girlfriend, fiance, and then wife has to look like that she basically needs to be a swimsuit model. And what do you know? She's not just showing up at his door fawning for his attention. And now he's approaching his 30s. Now he's in his mid-30s and he's still single because no woman can match his expectations. And women do the exact same thing. Um, or they'll be rejecting man after man because he's just not good enough for her. And her expectations are so sky high about what a man has to be that she will never actually go on a date with a man or give a man a chance because she's looking for unrealistic or shallow things. So for the right reasons, be picky. 
Do they not show the habits that a godly man needs to have? Reject them. Does she not have a healthy view towards male, male authority? Don't, don't ask her. Don't go after that woman. So be picky, but for the right reasons. Be very careful about turning down godly people who have good character. Now, I will get to this in a bit, but attraction is important. They can have good character. They can love God. But if there's no attraction, that is an important part. You're not obligated to say yes to them. You're not obligated to go and be in a romantic relationship with them. Attraction does matter. Just don't let your expectations be unrealistic and don't be shallow about it. So it's okay to be picky, but for the right reasons. Principle number seven, both of you should desire children. I don't know how we can be better ambassadors for Christ in this world, especially in the ungodly, secular, leftist West, than by having children, lots of children, raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord to be warriors for Christ and taking dominion over our culture. That is the most God-ordained thing that you can be doing, the most counter-cultural, God-fearing thing that you can do. Have lots of kids. You both should desire children. Children are a blessing from God. The Bible's clear about that. They are arrows in the quiver. We get to raise them and bring them into culture as warriors for Christ, uh, taking the dominion mandate into all the different spheres and realms of life. Um, we should be having our Christian children raised up to be our Christian lawyers, to be our judges, to be our policemen, and uh, to be to be our farmers, to be our politicians, to be our doctors, our surgeons, our nurses, to be, uh, of course, our pastors, to be our construction workers even. We should be raising up armies of godly children to fill every realm of society. And if you don't desire children, that probably means... Unless you have the gift of singleness, so nuance, if you have the gift of singleness, this does not apply to you. But if that's not you, and you're you're most of us, then if you don't desire children, you're probably being disobedient to the mission of God. And I, I'll strike that word probably, because we are tasked with raising up the next generation to have children, to raise them to fear God and launch them into society. It is obeying God to have children to take dominion over the earth, to continue in the next generation, to teach them when we wake up and why we, when we lie down, when we're on the road and all these types of things. It is biblically obedient to desire children and to have them. And now how many children should you have? My, the principle that I go with is as many as you both can faithfully handle. And I think that usually trends more often to the you can faithfully handle another child just stop being a baby about it and i don't mean to trivialize i have two children i know that it can be very difficult and yet it's not about you god will provide us the strength he does provide us the strength if he's going to give us a mission he will supply us everything that we need to accomplish that mission and so he tells us to have kids he tells us to populate the earth. He tells us to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. He will equip you if you and your husband or you and your wife are faithful. You should both desire children. It is a blessing from God, and I feel so, um, I feel so strongly for those couples who can't have children, who want them but can't. 
whatever the Lord is doing, he's closing the womb. And that is such a struggle for the people that I know who struggle with this. And so even for the sake of all of our godly friends who want children, can't have them, we should be the ones having children and so that they can be involved in our children's lives too. And that brings me to my principle number eight. Number eight is your community should be involved in and approve of your union. Your community should be involved in and approve of your union. If you are taking a fancy to a young lad or a young lady, you should not be secretive about it. I understand taking it easy, like for a for a first date or just you know being a little more casual in the first couple weeks or whatever. And yet, this is not a secret affair. You you should be having your community involved, especially in biblical days. Uh, and for most of human history, and even in a lot of parts of the world today, marriage was much more an arranged thing, and it was not a lovey-feeling-based thing. It was parents and older people of the community recognized, uh, they, they would arrange for unions to come together, and it was far more based on convenience, on status, on fulfilling your role, your duty, things like that. So it was more objective. Today, it's a whole lot more subjective. And I think we've and I don't, I'm not saying that we need to go back to arranged marriages, but I'm saying I think we've lost something objective about getting married and having our unions by making it so subjective and making it so me-based and my choice and my wants. You're, you should have your community involved in your relationship because that's what you're doing when you get married and you take vows. You are making vows that that altar, that before, the, in the presence of everybody, in the presence of God, you will be faithful to these vows, and they can hold you accountable to it. Whether you actually live by that or not, the community of people who are there watching you get married are supposed to hold you accountable to those vows, and you're supposed to let them, and you're supposed to listen to them. So you should have your pastors involved. They should know who you are with and be have free reign to speak into it, to give input to you if they approve of this choice or not. Uh, I, I recognize there are situations where this might not be possible, but your parents should be involved. I think that's an important part of this. They see things that you don't see. You can have rose-colored glasses on. Your parents should be involved. Some of your closest friends should be involved. And you are looking for their approval of it. And you will know if they don't approve you'll you'll know if they're not happy about your choice and that should give you pause if your community is not approving of your choice it means they're probably seeing something that you're not seeing and i would not you're in a dangerous place if you want to say oh they're all wrong they don't know him like i know him or they don't see her the way i see her i'm gonna do this anyway they can't tell me what to do that's horror that's a that is a very dangerous attitude to take and I would even say that it's a disobedient attitude to take. You should be looking for the approval of your community. Uh, and they should be involved and have free reign to be involved in that process. So your community should be involved in and approve of your union. Principle number nine. love. Oh, this is so important. Love and respect is a choice. Love and respect is a choice. In Ephesians 5, we get what is probably the single best marriage advice that has ever been put onto paper. Uh, entire Tons of books have been written on this, but the Bible, it's, it's always right. And I love that the truth that's written down 2,000 years ago is still the best marriage advice that can possibly be given. 
at the end of Ephesians 5, it just says this in verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, when the apostle writes this, husband, love your wife, wife, respect your husband. Does this sound like you can do this if you feel like it? You can do this if they've, if he's done his chores for the day like you barked at him to do. Or you can do this if she pleased you enough today. If she did your bidding enough. Nope. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. This is an objective choice that you make. When you take your vows, you have made a covenant. A covenant is a very important, deeply committed relation. Uh, a contract that you make with God and then of course with your community that you will uphold your side of the vows no matter what so that is something that you don't get to break just because you're not feeling it anymore or you're concerned about something you should be showing him your unconditional respect even when he doesn't deserve it and let me tell you the men in your life want your respect they want it more than they want your love. A man would rather hear from you, I respect you, wives, rather than I love you. I mean that. He would rather hear your admiration of him. It's been said before that a man will fight a thousand armies for the admiration of one woman. He is looking for you to admire and respect him. That is fuel for him. And likewise, the outpouring of love to a woman is fuel for her. You are obliged to show the woman you gave, you made vows to unconditional love. Even if you think she doesn't deserve it, even if you think she's unlovely, you fulfill your side of the vows. It is a choice. You lay your life down for your spouse. It is a choice that you make every single day, even when they don't deserve it. And what better picture of the gospel is there than showing this type of grace to people who don't deserve it? You can revolutionize your marriage if you are in a rut and one of you decides to break that cycle by showing unconditional respect to your husband. If you're in a rut, ladies, and you're waiting on your man to, change, to turn things around, to step up and be a man, you might be waiting a long time if this is a persistent issue and you can get your elders involved. That'll be a topic in another part of this series. But you can break the cycle by just starting to show unconditional respect. And I mean unconditional. And men, you, especially since you're tasked with being the leader, you can br break the rut by being the one to show unconditional love to your wife, even if she is being grouchy and does not deserve it and you don't want to do it. Love and respect is a choice. And when you're married, you'll see far more and more how true that is and how that'll ultimately be what's building your relationship. And that's how it gets so strong as you go on. So many people in these long marriages, they have stronger marriages 20 years in than they did five years in, 30 years in than they did 15 years in, because it's a choice. Um, and then finally, number 10, remember the essentials. It boils down to godliness, character, and attraction. Principle number 10, remember the essentials. It boils down to godliness, character, and attraction. So I hope I've made it pretty clear by now. We're not looking for superficial things we should be thinking a little bit more objective about this. Uh, the essentials, if, you are in a, if, if you're in a minefield right now when it comes to your love life, you don't really know what you're doing, you're confused, or 
you're, it's not going well, something like that, go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the essentials. Look for godliness. Um, you marry in the Lord. So, so that already tells you where you should be looking. You should be looking for godly people. Where do godly people go? Well, they should be going to church, first of all. Church is a good place to find them. Look for godliness. And then look for character, that they're actually behaving as they should. They have the characteristics of that godly person. And then you are attracted to them. That's the third part. So no one's forcing you to say yes to a date to someone you're not attracted to. It is an important part. Attraction is important. But attraction can also be grown over time. People who aren't necessarily the most attractive to you on first sight can become very attractive to you once you get to know them. It's true. There are many testimonies of this. So remember the essentials. It boils down to godliness, character, and attraction. Uh, one final thing I'll say, and this kind of sums this up a little bit. Find and marry the godliest person you are also attracted to. There you go. Find and marry the godliest person you are also attracted to. Don't complicate it. Don't make it crazy. Don't make it confusing. That's your, that's your principle. And those are my 10 principles to know before getting married. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the City of the Great King podcast. Uh, feel free to share it with your friends. I'd love it if you do. We always welcome more listeners. Go serve your king. Go win the nations. God bless you. Bye-bye.